there might be a time during high school that you do have to dedicate more time to the one sport that you feel like is going to be your future in college. But I don't think it's wise to start that too soon because there's a lot to be learned from them physically, mentally, competitively. That was UMass baseball coach Matt Reynolds. He'll be our next guest on the Base Path podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast, brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm Dan Guttenplan, sitting in studio with co-host Matt Feld. It's Thanksgiving season. Matt, what's that going to look like for you? You have a slate of football games to cover? Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be my eighth year in a row covering a Thanksgiving football game on Thanksgiving morning. I could go on like a 10-minute rant about that, but <laughs> but I think it is a cool tradition for the for the players and the, and the coaches, especially for the seniors, so that's always... Uh, Nice to see. And then a quiet weekend before before the winter sports season starts next Monday. Yeah. Well, with us today, today's guest is UMass head coach Matt Reynolds, who led the Minutemen to their first 20-win season since 2012 in the spring. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on Zoom. Yeah, my pleasure. Wish I could be there in person, but, uh, but great to join you guys. And I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I was going through. I know you had a great spring or the best spring that you guys have had in about a decade at UMass. And I uh, I was kind of going through your coaching career, which has been a little bit of a weird head coaching stint because of the pandemic. Like you started in 2017, right when you started to kind of get your your guys in, in terms of recruits and transfers and everything like that. You had a pandemic to deal with and then roster sizes got crazy. I remember in the beginning of last year, you saying you were really starting to feel good about the recruits that you were bringing in and your recruiting philosophy. How How is it all shaking out now, five years into your experience at yeah, I feel like we're in a good place. As you said, last year was the most wins that we've had in, in a decade. And I was still a little bit bittersweet because we felt like we left a little bit on the table and could have been, our results could have been even a little bit better. But it was great to see that progress. And, and finally, five years in, start to feel like we were at a place that we expected to be probably by year three, if not for, of course, the global pandemic. And then even the year following that was, was a very difficult year for us. We we actually didn't have a fall the following year at all. So we did not see anybody the entire fall of, of 2020. And then they showed up on campus. We worked out for about three weeks indoors. And then we had to play a Division One schedule, and it didn't go very well. As a, So finally in 2022, had the whole year, everything went normal. And, and just felt like, I felt a little bit redeemed after two very difficult years of like, I thought this is where we could be. And and still build off of this, and and uh, it was exciting to to uh, to start to see our guys come together and and finally play with what we felt like was an older team. Felt like we were playing with young guys for four years. Even my even the pandemic year, we played Georgia right before everything happened, and seven of our nine position players on the field were freshmen. And it's like, when are we? When, when is this going to end? And then so finally we. Uh, we grew up, we, we had experience on the field last year, and it showed, and it was a good, good step forward for us. Coach, what's your overall take just from a, from a bird's-eye view landscape? The college baseball is changing so rapidly. The NCAA is certainly making a lot of changes in the way that schools can now handle paid assistance and things of that nature potentially in the near future. What's your overall bird's-eye view perspective on where college baseball is currently? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in a, I think it's in a fantastic spot. I kind of stay stay in my lane of, of what we need to do here at UMass, and but you know so I don't involve myself that much with, with on the national level. But 
it, it seems to be in a really good spot. I mean, I think the and credit to you guys for spotlighting college baseball in the area. And I, I just think it's getting more coverage. I think it's getting more exposure. ESPN Plus has been a huge thing for me, at least personally. You can go on there all throughout the season. I live on there. There's 30 games a day on there. So I think that the exposure has been great. It's changing rapidly, as you said. It's tough to keep up with, with all the different changes. Some of them pandemic-related, some of them transfer regulations. Certainly that's gone through a lot, and, and it's not done. There's a lot more coming down the pipe here of, uh, of things that could potentially change and impact that landscape. So I, I just think I think it's in a good spot. We're tweaking it a lot these days, it seems like, and it's tough to keep up. But I think holistically it is it is in a really good spot right now. I think it's hard as a new head coach of a college baseball team to really put your stamp on the program. You have to be patient because it's not like basketball where you come in and you can say, hey, I don't want any of you guys on scholarship anymore. Let's bring in 12 new guys or five new starters. I think with baseball, you might have the first year you bring in five or six new recruits or maybe even 10, but by the time it's your team, the guys that you recruited with your recruiting philosophy it might be three or four years now that you're you've been there for a half a decade what type of player or what is your recruiting philosophy in terms of balancing incoming freshmen with transfers and what type of players are you looking for to bring into UMass yeah great question and I I would add to that too is the way that we're set up here at UMass coming into it I I knew that this was going to have to be kind of a grassroots rebuild we were not set up from a an institutional standpoint or, or from a scholarship standpoint to come in and, like you said, just, just kind of hit the reset button, bring in 15 junior college guys or something like that. It just wasn't that, – that's just not who we are, and it wasn't going to happen that way. And I was fine with that. I would rather build it from the ground up. So, And then you flip, the, of course, the pandemic in there, and then you're dealing with a lot of different stuff. So as it is – as it's finally starting to shake out, I knew – a couple things about the way we needed to recruit here. One of them is that we're going to have to rely on Massachusetts. We're about 50% Massachusetts guys. We have in-state tuition here. It's about 34, 35,000 all in total cost of attendance. And that might not seem like a deal. That's a big number still, but when you're competing against schools that start at 70 and $80,000, particularly with what has happened with UMass's academics, that's a, that's a really good starting point for a very high quality education. So we lean heavily on Massachusetts. We've been able to go out of state and have a lot more success, not just in the New England area, but we've we've expanded out. We've got two guys from Colorado. We have the two guys from Georgia. We have somebody from Michigan. We've got three guys from Minnesota. Um, so we've been able to use some recruiting networking to get out of the region a little bit, and that's helped us as well. And, and the portal, I look at the portal for us as a, as a supplemental recruiting tool. It's it's not something where we're we're sitting in the office and saying, hey, we're going to bring in 10 transfers a year. I, I don't want to do that. I don't think that that's good for continuity and development. But at the same time, you you can plug some you can plug some leaks and you can you can supplement your recruiting where you need it. So uh, I felt like we've done that well, and and there's some opportunities out there that we need to take advantage of. So that's the overall kind of what we've done so far, and and. So far, it's, it, we've had success. And, and I would say, too, and I think I would speak for a lot of college baseball coaches, having having played the last two years with generally all of college baseball being older than they've been and more experienced with everybody getting additional years, it, it's, it's tough to imagine going back to 
not not being an old and experienced team that always played well, but particularly over the last couple of years where you've had so many more experienced players that are still within college baseball. I think there's kind of a fight to stay there for everybody. You're rolling up there, you're a coach and you're rolling somebody up that's got 900 college at-bats. There's a big difference between that guy and a freshman who might be equally as talented, but this that experience level is something that I think that we're all kind of trying to fight to, to maintain. So so that's what we've tried to do, and there's a lot more to it as far as recruiting philosophy goes, but as it relates to the portal and, and what we're trying to do, that's that's pretty much how we look at it. Coach, being a, a state school, you guys have opportunities to provide kids with financial relief if they come from, from in-state, of course, maybe even more so than from a baseball scholarship money standpoint. I'm curious, as you guys approach recruiting, do you guys feel that you're more competing against other state schools, or do you kind of find yourself trying to go after kids that, that are maybe being also recruited by the Fordhams and St. Joe's of the world? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I, I would say we, I'd say it's a mix. And I, and I would say that with the trajectory of UMass as athletic, excuse me, academic, we find ourselves more and more competing against your Fordhams, your Northeasterns, your Harvards, your, we've, Ivy League schools, there's, we, we are intentionally, from my philosophy, we're intentionally going after very high quality students. That's part of what we're looking for. But we can legitimately do that now. This is a school that's very attractive, for, particularly for our business students, our engineering students. Um, so we can legitimately be in the mix with, with student, prospective student athletes that are looking at very high academic institutions. So I think increasingly we we have those names come up of maybe some more private schools that have historically been looked at as very high academic schools. But there's a there's a good mix of, of the schools in the region and then there's some outliers here and there. But many of the of the and it's tough in this area. When you're going after uh, when you're going after very high quality students and you reside in Massachusetts in New England, there's a lot of schools that are going after those same people with just the, the volume of high academic institutions we have up here. So we see a lot of the same names uh, year after year, but uh, we're, we're fighting a good fight here. Just to follow up really quick, you guys have the Eisenberg School, of course, a very highly thought of business school, one of the best business schools in the country. I'm curious when you're out recruiting on the road and, and maybe you've got rosters that state what a kid's interested major is, do you guys feel like that's an opening and opportunity for you to kind of go after those kids that maybe have that towards the top of their list? Yeah, there's no question about it. That has been the Eisenberg School has been a huge uh, attraction for us going after prospective student athletes. And and even before I got here, I started to notice I was a before I, I came back here. I was for three years. I was a head coach at Division three at Washington College down in Maryland, and it just seemed like three out of five, four out of five guys that I would talk to were interested in business. And it wasn't because necessarily that school attracted them to business. It just seemed like more and more kids were interested in business. So, so when I got back here and, and was able to bear witness to the trajectory that, that the Eisenberg school has followed, which is, it's kind of been in lockstep with the school as a whole, just exponentially as far as the national rankings, that that's been a huge thing to have in our back pocket. And about 50% of our team is in the Eisenberg School, whether it's in the Bachelor's in Business Administration program or sport management is also, as you might expect, very, very popular amongst our guys and all the athletes at UMass. So so that's been a, a, a very big tool for us. I definitely get the, the need to balance the academic piece when you're recruiting with the athletic piece. I feel like sometimes on 
a Twitter or social media when you're following recruiting coordinators or coaches of college programs, you'll see them post sometimes like, hey, once I see the video of a kid or I see the kid in person, the first five questions I ask are like, how hard does he work off the field? What's his GPA? What are his test scores? And I feel like sometimes it almost goes too far in that direction where you're like, if somebody on your staff brought you a pitcher who's throwing 78 miles an hour, you're going to say, hey, don't bring me this isn't a D1 baseball player. Like, do you have minimum athletic requirements? Like, hey, I want pitchers who throw 90. We're going to have a program where we're going to throw hard. We're going to have high velocity guys on the mound. Are there minimum requirements that you want to see to even start looking into a guy's academic profile? Yeah, I I don't think we put, we don't put numbers to it. I think it's more of a feeling amongst the staff that we understand who we are. We understand the guys that we currently have, and we understand we want to get better. But we also understand our limitations too. With, with, again going back to kind of who we have to be from our scholarship situation, which is there's presents some challenges there. We we understand that you know it there, there's some battles that aren't worth fighting for us, and that's okay. We we have to be a little bit more strategic about our recruiting, and if we're going to go around and chase guys that are six four two twenty five fully developed and they're already ninety one ninety four, we're probably not going to have a whole heck of a lot of success landing those guys so more so what we've done if if you're asking kind of what does the staff look at from a strategy standpoint when we go out there we're looking for guys that we think could be that and maybe they're 18 to 24 months away or they're 12 months away or they're whatever the case may be they're showing signs of just hitting that stride and they're they're 25 pounds away and they're 18 months of experience away but it's coming on and we catch them at the right time and we've had great success with guys just like that that are they're not the guys that are being recruited as early sophomores, and we catch them right at that that point where we feel like they're about to jump off, and we just see where they could be and then try to bring them in and get them into our system and get them into the weight room, get them into our number one dining program in the country, which I'll have to throw that in there too, and 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 help them get there. And, and we've had great success in, in that area. So I think the staff understands that. When when to go after guys, when to let them, let them slide away and, and who the right fits are for us that we can get and and we'll end up being those guys down the road all my friends who have gone to umass do say the food is uh, is excellent <laughs> so, so i've always been jealous of that <laughs> compared to my college dining experience <laughs> coach just to piggyback off that but how do you battle the the back and forth and the ebb and flow of casting a, a wide net with recruiting potentially i'm just making a number up but saying you offer 20 guys and hoping you get four or five as opposed to taking a much more finite and targeted approach, knowing though that if you miss out on the couple of guys that you're really going after, you could be in a tough situation. How does that kind of, how do you kind of juggle those two ends of the spectrum? Yeah. So I, I tell all of our recruits this, and, and it, it is true. We're not the program that I use Oprah as a reference, not that I ever watched Oprah, but you know, it's a popular meme these days, right? Where you get a, you get a, whatever it was, you get this, you get that. Uh, we're, we're not the Oprah program that shows up and you get an offer and you get an offer. And anybody we think that can play for us and help us win baseball games gets an offer. That's not who we are. We're much more intentional about making sure that we get the right guys, making sure that we get guys that are serious about their, obviously everybody wants the best baseball players. That, that's a, that's a given, right? So we've got that competitive piece, but who is serious about it in the classroom? Who wants to actually get this degree, come in, and it, it means something to them, and they're going to have the toolkit and the motivation to have success here? 
and just as important as anything else, who ha- who has the character to come in and be a part of and represent our institution the way that we would want it to be done. Um, and we really, as long as that baseball part of it is checked, we need to have those other two pieces as best we can figure out. And we can't know everybody inside and out when they come in here, but we do work at it and we try to gather as much information, make sure we get the right people in the room to be able to create and maintain the culture that we want to have here. And those things are really important to us. So that's, that's what we look for. And we want to make sure that we do a good job cultivating that. And it's, it's as important to us as anything else. So long as that baseball box is checked, of course, you know, that nothing supersedes that they got to be able to come in and be at a level where they can compete and help us win. But those other two things are, are very, very important. And uh, with that, we're, we're very, very careful. We tell recruits this too. We're very careful about who we offer an opportunity to come into our little family because those people that you offer to come into your family, they end up, some of them say yes. Right. And they end up comprising your family. And if they're not there for the right reasons and they're not a good fit for us, or we're not going to fit for them, it creates a bad locker room and it creates a bad team dynamic. So on the other side of it, we're very upfront about what we are. We're very upfront about our financial situation. Here's exactly who we are. You want to be a part of this. And we've tried to find out exactly who they are and we figure out if we want them to be a part of what we're all about. And when those two things marry up, it makes for a team that's very enjoyable to be around and it makes for a fun practice and, and, and competitive environment. And that's what we really try to try to strive for. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division 1, 2, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. It's interesting. Right now you see not so much New England schools, but you see a lot of these Power 5 schools getting recruitment commitments from 25s and 26s, which is a long way out. Like the 26s haven't even played high school baseball yet. So there's a lot of projection going on there. And then a lot of times I feel like more and more with those early commitments, you're seeing guys decommit junior, senior year. 
And I'm just trying to figure out what the code is among D1 coaches. Like, say you get a commitment from a, or you see another, get a commitment from a 26, and then you see that coaching staff change a year later. Like, are those commits then fair game because the coaching staff is changing? Or what if a player needs Tommy John surgery and you're saying, hey, he might not be able to play anymore at Mississippi State? Is he fair game? Like, what are the rules in terms of, differentiating differentiating between verbal commitments, a signing day. When are when are the guys fair game to start recruiting, even if they've made commitments? Yeah, I mean it's that's a tough one because it's a lot of that stuff is not actually legislated. It's it's kind of a an agreement, and it's not even an agreement. It's, there's a lot of gray area amongst coaches, and I will say from two two things from our from from my perspective, I'll say. We try to just do everything above board. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to talk to anybody else's commits. I don't want to deal in that in that world at all. And and we're. For, I would say we're fortunate that we really don't have to. That's that's really not something that I'm very interested in of trying to get eighth graders to commit to play for us. Or I, I think that goes against everything that I just said in the previous question. Right? Like those guys don't even know who they are yet. So how how am I going to be able to? judge their academics, judge their character, judge their work ethic, all, all of these things. And so much can happen in four years, right? It, it, so much can turn and then the school ends up not being a fit for them or finances go sideways. Or And I understand the arms race part of it because you know, people don't want to miss out. They have the ability to put a big offer down on somebody that they feel like is going to be a, a huge impact to their program, why would they not go ahead and do that and then let them go to their competitor? So I get it. I, I understand it. I'm just happy that we don't have to operate in that space. I don't think I'm a, I'm a good fit for that necessarily. Um, so, but it, it's a tough, it's a very difficult landscape because it's, there's that arms race part of it, but then the earlier you get, the more uncertainty there is on both sides, on, on the prospective student athlete side. And then on the, on the institution side, is, are we going to get any return on this? And, and again, with, with rosters and the draft and, and so much, so much can happen that might lead to in three years that these two things don't line up anymore. That, that makes it very difficult, but, but at the same sense, I, I, I get it. I get it. Coach, how do you avoid taking recruiting personally where, where I'm sure it's no fun to, to get a phone call that a kid has, chosen another school or conversely how do you avoid getting too high in recruiting where a kid tells you and he's wicked pumped that he's coming to coming to play for you two totally different phone calls and sentiments that you can get from student athletes that you've probably put hours and days and months into trying to get on campus how do you kind of remove the emotion on both ends from it well <laughs> i i think i think my i think the people around me would would say and maybe i'm wrong that I, i'm pretty even keeled for the most part. I, I kind of take things as they come. Uh, however, I've not always handled that well <laughs> personally. It's 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 hard. You feel like you're doing the best that you can, and and sometimes you think something's going to go one way, and and it doesn't. And and sometimes you, you you may disagree with the reasons that somebody is is choosing not to attend this institution or play for us, and and uh, so it, it 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 is it is difficult, but. You just got to move on. You just got to understand that 
you're not, they're not all going to be yeses. I've certainly been, been told no a whole heck of a lot more of my career than I've been told yes, which is you know, pretty much true for every coach in the country. So but you get used to it. And, and I think the biggest thing is you end up, you end up figuring out through experience and just for doing this for a long time. Pretty early on, you can get a sense, not always, but pretty early on, you can get a sense. Am I spinning my, my tires here or not? But I remember going back to just being a young assistant coach and, and not maybe having that ability as, as keenly as maybe we do now with, with a lot more experience. And, and, and then you end up going down a, a path that, that never had a, a good end to it in the first place. So we try not to waste our time. We try to find guys that we think are good fits for us. And, 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 and in that sense, mitigate the uh, slamming a phone against the wall or doing anything outlandish when, when things don't go your way. So yeah, ho- hopefully I continue to get better at that as, as we go. How common is it for you when you're recruiting someone, say you're recruiting a 23 and you say, Hey, we're, we are pretty stacked in our 23 class. It's a pretty full class right now. We'd like to see you either prep or take a PG year and become a 24 and then we have a spot for you. And is it ever a difficult conversation? Because in some ways you're asking him probably to spend a lot more money for that year of prep or that, that PG year. I would say that that's pretty rare for us. We have done that. And I wouldn't say we've done it like, hey, we, we want you to do this. It's more of, listen, this is exactly where we stand because we don't want anybody coming into a, a situation that they, they didn't fully understand. And we would just simply say, listen, if, if you decide that you want to continue your recruiting process by taking a gap year or taking a PG year or something like that, then certainly we'd be interested in continuing to talk. But I, but I don't think it's our place to tell them to do that necessarily. So there's been those, those situations have been pretty rare for us. But, you know, to your point, I think you do hear that from time to time and not necessarily from college coaches, but sometimes from from just different people just throwing that out there pretty casually we'll just take a pg year like what's the problem well it's sixty thousand dollars to go to that school that's a problem yeah do those it's not a guarantee that that's going to manifest itself in anything do they end up getting do they end up getting money from those prep schools a lot of the time or like how do they square that i think they do and from what i can gather all of those prep schools are very very different from each other they all handle their financial aid very differently. And, and in certain circumstances, I think that coaches there can have more involvement in there or they have no involvement or some of it's academic, some of it's sports related. So I think all those situations are different. But yeah, the casual just go prep. It's certainly no guarantee that it's going to change things. But you know, that's that's not to say that it does. It, it does for a lot of people. And we've had a ton of guys that have come from prep schools. And, and I think their opportunities have, more opportunities have emerged for them because of that but certainly it's not something that we we instruct our guys to do or or anything like that coach i want to get your perspective on multiple sport athletes of of kids that you are recruiting i do i feel like i do hear a lot of coaches talk about how they they preach multiple sport athletes of course for all the reasons that have been stated in the past but then it's like i'd love to recruit this kid is this kid playing at this event in february and it's like no it's during his basketball season like and I feel like some kids feel like maybe they're yeah. stuck between a rock and a hard place where they want to play multiple sports, but they feel like if they do and instead don't play year-round, they're going to lose out on opportunities to get recruited at some events in the fall and the winter. I'm just curious your overall perspective and, and how you kind of evaluate kids that play multiple sports. Yeah, we, we love having them. I, I know that. 
And I've just seen over the over the course of time that not always, but a lot of the time, those guys are just more athletic. They've done more different, They've done a variety of different movements. They're sometimes more capable of, of being able to be coached and make physical adjustments just because they haven't been in this one box. They have maybe a little bit better understanding of themselves physically and how their body works. So we're a big fan of it. Um, I can also see the other side of it. And I don't envy. There's a lot of things that I don't envy and I know are very difficult situations for these prospective student athletes and their families and, and the decisions that they are put to to try to set themselves up best to follow their dreams what they want to do is they want to play college baseball there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of different decisions to be made as to how they put themselves in the best position and certainly that's one of them and i would say it's different for everybody but if you're just looking for one piece of advice that's kind of a catch-all at least from my perspective is that there might be a time during high school that you do have to dedicate more time to to the, to the one sport that you feel like is going to be your future in college but i don't think it's wise to start that too soon I don't think it's, I don't, I don't know that it's necessary for a seventh grader or an eighth grader or a ninth grader even to, to give up on some of those other sports just because there's a lot to be learned from them physically, mentally, competitively that I think we, we would all agree or most of us, I guess, would agree as college coaches that we've seen the benefits of, of, of being a multi-sport athlete. So I think it's just for you as a family figuring out when is that point or, or maybe that point never comes. You never need to, to specialize in baseball, but just trying to figure that out. Like when, when, when is the time, if we're going to do this, if we're going to give up on some other stuff, when's the right time? And that's an imperfect science. It's a, it's a difficult thing for families to decide. For those who do decide to make that choice to specialize, there's more of an opportunity to do that now in New England than there was five, 10 years ago with travel baseball. How do you think that's impacted the, the landscape of college baseball in New England? You mean just the, the growth of, of travel ball opportunities? Yeah. Do you think it's closed the projection window a little bit so that, you know, now that guys are possibly playing year round, you're not saying, hey, what's this guy going to look like in 18 months or 24 months when they're in a college program and they're lifting and doing things year round? We can kind of already see what they would be. No, I think there's definitely something to that. I look back and I, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm, I grew up in South Boston and there's infinitely more opportunities for develop for baseball specific development for for showcase opportunities travel ball opportunities than there were when i was growing up so in in some senses yes it, it does become a little bit easier to maybe look at the the benefits of specializing um sooner just because those opportunities to have that decision bear some fruit for you and actually play and develop and, and play in front of college coaches those those opportunities are, are growing greater and greater by the year. So so I do think that that weighs on it a little bit, for sure. And and I do see a rise of some programs that are doing a really good job from a travel ball perspective of providing a kind of the whole package for for a player that joins an opportunity to develop their body. It's not just we're playing these games, but we're practicing and you have access to this facility and you have access to this weight facility and this coach and that coach and some of the technology. So I think that that increasingly is, is trying to is trying to pull kids into that environment where they can train specifically for that sport. And it wouldn't have made as much sense for me back then because those, those opportunities weren't as good. You had to go outsource all of those things in different places. So, so I think that that's certainly a factor in, in, in kids wanting to, uh, want to specialize. Coach, a couple high-profile names, new, new head coaches at UMass this year, Don Brown of the football program, 
Frank Martin with the basketball program. The basketball program's off to a to a good start this winter. I'm curious. I've always wondered on college campuses what sort of the the chemistry is like, and if there's dialogue between the head coaches of different sports. And I and I'm just in your time there, whether that's been something that kind of goes on, because of course coaches coming from all over the place, different conferences, coach at different levels of of their own sports. What's that kind of environment like at UMass? Yeah, no, I I think that environment here is great. I, I'll I would say certainly there is something to people kind of staying in their own bubble because just because you know we're particularly in in season everybody's busy and everybody's (laughs) got their head down and they're just trying to think about the next thing they have to do for their program but but i do think our department does a great job of of getting our coaches together giving them professional development opportunities giving them opportunities to throw things off of each other i give our leadership particularly ryan banford our our ad a lot of credit for the environment that's created at umass um and you always feel like it sounds gonna sound corny but I think it is an environment where everybody's pulling for each other. It's kind of that 21 sports, one team type of environment where we're, we're excited. I, I watched as much as I could. I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old, so things I can do on my own volition are, are pretty limited. But I watched, watched those hoops games down in down at Coastal Carolina, and I was pumped up to see those guys come out of there with the championship. And it seems like there's a lot of momentum there. Certainly Coach Carve and, and our hockey programs created a ton of momentum for the school. So, Hey, everybody else's success here is good for for all of the other sports, and I think that UMass is a shining example of that over the last ten years or so, just raising our profile. And it and it takes every program to do that. So certainly proud of of the accomplishments that everybody else has had, and uh, and we're rooting for them. And I hope that they're we're pulling for us when the when the snow finally melts and we get out there on Earl Orton Field. You've been kind of a, a New England baseball lifer, looking through your resume. You from South Boston. So where you went to high school around there or where did you go to high school? I did. I went to Boston Latin School. Oh, okay. And then you went to Maine, transferred to UMass and now you're the head coach there. What, who were the kind of baseball inspirations for you growing up? Were you a big fan of the Red Sox or was baseball big in your house? Yeah. I mean, being from South Sea, I think there was no, you were going to be a Red Sox, <laughs> you know, Pats, Bruins, uh, Celts fan. There was, there was no question about that. I'd say first and foremost, my, my parents, my, my dad and my mother as well. My father was a good athlete and I was, a, I think baseball was, was his favorite sport, but he also going back to the, to the multi-sport thing, he, he imparted that on me. I don't think by design, he just he had an interest in a ton of different sports. So I grew up playing a ton of different sports and, and I thought that that was, that was great. And I would say then specifically with baseball, when I got to college, I was very fortunate to, to have the coaches that I did, Coach Costacopoulos or, or Costi as he's known, uh, who was up in Maine for two years when I was up there, and, and I was fortunate enough to work for him for seven years at Navy, and then Coach Stone, and talking about two New England lifers right there, he's got uh, over a thousand Division One wins, which is hard for me to imagine. And Coach Stone was here for thirty years and had a ton of success, especially earlier on in his career at, at UMass, and. And being able to, to be connected with those guys and, and both play play for both of them and then work with both of them was something that certainly was I I would not be saying I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now uh, I can easily say that if it, if it weren't for certainly my parents their influence on me and, and and in particular those two guys that gave me an opportunity to play and then an opportunity both of them to, to advance myself in my coaching career so there's been a huge influence and I think just in general this is this is a great baseball region. 
I know it's cold up this way and everything, and it's, you know, it's not as easy sometimes to uh, to practice the sport. But I think there's a reason that you see New England coaches and New England players scattered all over the country. And I think that there's been a lot of people that have come out of this region that have done some great things. So certainly proud of where I came from and, and very thankful for the people that helped influence me and, and get me to where I am today. Well, that's a good Thanksgiving message to go out on. Well, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to connect right here before the holiday, and I wish you well with your the rest of your, I guess, off-season as we head here right into the college baseball season in February. Sure thing. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. It's been an honor, and anytime. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, Coach. Thanks to UMass Coach Matt Reynolds for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz, the Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.